Welcome back to Soul Back. This is the R&B Podcast. Kyle here. I've got Tom and Ed with me. What is going on, guys? What's going on, players? How is everybody today? What's up? What's up? Man, guys, I'm recording live in Toronto right now, and Ed, to your surprise, or maybe not, they love Drake over here. You don't say. He only spent a two weeks of his life running around looking like an idiot on the court. So, congrats to your Raptors. No love to Aubrey. Can I give a quick <laughs> shout-out? Shout-out to anyone yes, who can. tuned into the last episode and heard us. Uh, or uh, when I don't remember which episode. It was recently when we were talking about chicken wings and how to eat them. Well, shout-out oh, to, yes. shout to whoever heard that discussion. I want to let everyone know I sent Ed a picture of me eating chicken wings the other day. Oh, man. And, uh, Ed, I did a pretty good job, right? Finished the whole the whole thing. You did a terrible job. I mean, I would rather listen to the Lil Nas XEP than see that oh. disgrace that was your chicken leftovers. Play it. it looked like, I don't know if you saw this, Kyle. Imagine just this plump chicken wing full of meat, beautifully brown skin. I mean, the best thing you've ever seen. And like a baby bite out the side of it. That was it. <laughs> a baby bite? <laughs> a baby bite. That was enough Man, meat I... on that bone to feed the entire state of Maryland. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Jeez. Can we move on? Well, Ed, how do you feel about people that eat fried chicken but they peel off the skin? I mean, that's an abomination. If you want baked <laughs> chicken, get some baked chicken. Don't fry the chicken and then make it baked. You double work for yourself. Now, I will gladly eat your fried chicken skin because I'm a monster like that. But why do all that work for no reason? You're throwing your blessings away, literally. Oh, my goodness. Man. And the most important question of the day, Ed, didn't you? I mean, Tom, didn't you confirm that Ed eats pizza with a fork and knife? Yeah, I believe that's confirmed. That's an abomination if I've ever heard one. Look, play. I have explained... I have explained that that is just a sometimes occurrence. If the pizza's like the deep dish when it's like really, really messy, yeah, I'm going to fork and knife that thing. I don't want that stuff all over my hands. Well, it's better than right, Kyle, Ed. who eats it from the crust first. Oh, my goodness. What kind of... What? You need to be arrested, <laughs> young man. Some fake news going on here. <laughs> you tuned into the all right, right Ed, show ser- for that. Ed, serious question then. What about fried chicken? Do you eat it with a fork and knife as well? Dog, how are you going to eat fried chicken with a fork and knife? I don't know. No, I eat that with my hands. But don't worry, I have 17 napkins by my side because I cannot stand having greasy hands. And with the crumbs all over it, ugh, it's a pet peeve. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Well, guys, not a lot of new music to talk about this week, but... um, Man, some exciting albums coming up. Tom, Raheem Devon, his album is dropping, and this is kind of kind of unheard of in R&B. He's dropping two albums in less than a year, pretty much. Yeah, I believe it's been eight months. That is unheard of, but I love it, man. He's motivated. He's on fire. You know, he's putting out good music. I wish more artists would give it, give it to us like that, but, you know, I'm not sure when the last time we got something like that is, besides music who put out a double album, which is nearly unheard of as well so i like it yeah amen yeah and, you know my my stance is always is the music good i don't care if it takes six months or six years if you give me a solid project i'm happy 
And I cannot ever think of a bad project that man has put out. Well, see, I'm just trying to think. If you're putting out two consecutive projects um, in a span of like a year, and it really depends, right? Some artists, like I know Justin Timberlake a couple of years ago, he dropped two albums, but the second album was pretty much leftovers from the first one. Tom, Mm -hmm. do you know if this is leftovers? Because I think he's on a new label right now, right? It's not leftovers. The, the man is literally always in the studio. I don't know how closely you follow him, but that guy is always working. One of the hardest working artists. That Timberlake thing was definitely leftovers. I mean, we knew that. And the quality wasn't... It, you could tell, you know, but I don't expect that to be the case this time around, so stay tuned. Yeah. And Tom, I think he's signed to Tim Kelly, right? Our boy, shout out to Tim Kelly. I know he's probably listening. The You know, legendary producer. He signed him. Yep, he produced the whole album, I believe. Yeah, so that's exciting. Ed, isn't and give me some perspective from a rap point of view because I don't think we've really ever seen it in R and B unless you count mm-hmm. like Shantae Moore's albums because she drops like an album every like four months or an EP or whatever. But didn't DMX drop like two albums in one year? Oh, oh yeah. man, oh yes, that was quite infamous. And the thing about that, that was '98. He dropped one in the summer, and then one around the end of the year. And at that time, that was really unprecedented because you had an artist who was still super hot and still had an album that had a lot of juice left, and then he bam hits us with another one. So this isn't. A lot of times we see it from artists who will drop consecutive projects who are like building towards something. Or in the case of a Justin, it's just kind of like, oh, I've got this album, and here's kind of the, I don't want to say scraps. The album was okay, but album stuff that on a traditional album probably would have been left off. And we just cobbled that together to make another project. But this was just, and I think in DMX's case, he was just like, I'm still in the studio. Here's a bunch of stuff. I love this stuff. I'm going to make another album because I can. And if the quality is there... You're going to see two very successful products. And I really hope that we can get that from Raheem's this time. Mm-hmm. And Tom, didn't Nas do the same thing, but the result wasn't as good? Nas? I don't remember Nas. He released a double album. Hey, did he have do two in one year? Yeah, but they were kind of extenuating circumstances. That's when he dropped I Am and Nostradamus. But that was because oh. I Am got super bootlegged and it was kind of like, there was another reason behind that. He just kind of had to throw some stuff out because the bootleggers went crazy. This was in the late 90s, kids, when the bootleggers would really mess up your stuff. <laughs> now it's just like, oh, we called it a leak. Now it's, we don't do that in this era. So it was kind of insinuating circumstances with my man, not Ciro now. Nice. All right. Um, now, a new song is about to drop. I guess by the time this podcast airs, the song would have already dropped, but her is set to drop her debut or official first single off her debut album, Rax, and it features YBN Corday. Who is this, Ed? <laughs> oh, YBN. He's actually one of, if you check out XXL Magazine's freshman covers every year, they kind of do this thing where they highlight the quote-unquote hottest rappers in the game for the coming year. 90% of the time it's industry plants and hot garbage. But he's actually one of the better ones on the list. So he's not necessarily my favorite, but he's kind of like improving over the past few years. So he's kind of won me over on that end. Plus he's hot in the streets. So I can't really fault the kind of label or even if it was her decision. 
to kind of pair that up with kind of an up and coming hip hop artist. All and about is, that visibility. Excuse me, Kyle. What her debut album? I, I I thought for sure she won a Grammy for her for her last album. How could it be her mm-hmm. debut? That, that was a uh, what is that? An extended EP, as Al Warner would call it. Oh my God, <laughs> player! Just put out the album. Yeah. All these EPs um, and mashups, you're driving me nuts. <laughs> but Ed, is he a rapper, rapper, or is he a singing rapper? He's a. Let's see. If you're familiar with um, Chance the Rapper, then you kind of know what you're getting into. He's mostly rapping, but he does a little off-key warbling at times. And But for the most part, I won't throw him in the trash yet. He has enough potential where I'm like, eh, let's keep an eye on him and see how he develops. Yo, the only thing I know about Chance the Rapper is uh, Tom calls him a fake nice guy. Yeah. A fake? <laughs> no, I'm, no, and Tom and I have talked about that, and I kind of <laughs> see where he's coming from. It's all an act, guys. Come on. Everything's an act. Right. All right, calm down, Tom. But, Tom, let's talk about these rap features because, you know, it's kind of like been an interesting turn of events where, you know, previously it was an R&B artist needed to be on a rap song on the hook for it to do well. And then over the years, it's kind of transformed. And now we're in this weird place because both rappers and R&B singers are both singing at this point. Like Chris Brown dropped a new record with Gunna. And aside from, you know, them them having different voices, there's really nothing different. So uh, how do you view the state of R&B in terms of rap features? Because I know like Offset is on BJ the Chicago Kids new song. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is it necessary to have a rap artist? Of course. You, unfortunately, you have to in this day and age. I, 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 you mentioned El Varner. She had this song I love, Don't Wanna Dance. And then they put some guy, ASAP Ferg, on it. And I'm like, this ruins the song for me. And it's like, that's what you need. Ed, I know you're a big fan. I'm sorry. But no, please. That's what, that's what you need to get on urban radio. The urban radio is not playing a lot of straight R&B songs, with some exceptions. It's, hip, it's all hip-hop. So that's a label-orchestrated move. I mean, her... I wish they would have given more credit and see if she could have done it herself because I can't see this feature adding anything to the song. She's a talented artist, you know, and can create herself. She doesn't need a rap feature. I mean, it's, look at the Cardi B, Bruno Mars situation from a few years ago. And boy, y'all going to tear me up for this and you know where to go. E.T. Bowser on Twitter. Yell at me all you want. My block button is itchy. Anyway, we remember when Bruno dropped the finesse record. And then all of a sudden, he threw Cardi B on it. And I remember, I kid you not, people were saying, Cardi B has this new song with Bruno Mars. There's this new song Cardi B has. So it not only not only did she hijack the song, you got this whole influx of new fans that are latching on to this Bruno song that was probably like nine months old at this point. So, yes, that's what it's all about. Visibility, reaching a new market, getting different spins on different platforms. It works, and unfortunately, it's not going to change anytime soon. Creatively, from a critic standpoint, it's unnecessary. That Bruno song, I thought was perfectly fine without her. But, and well, Ferg and Elvarn, I'll let y'all have that one. But regardless, creatively, it doesn't always help. But as a business move, I guess I understand it. Well, Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, and I want your opinion, but when I hear these songs, it rarely ever sounds like these artists are in the studio together. It just seems like they slap 
a hip hop verse on the song, and it doesn't really, you know, sound organic. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, pretty much. Um, most of the time, and I'm not one to hate, but you're right. Like the rappers never really bring anything to the song. Like I yep. think one of the last favorite R and B hip hop collaborations that I can think of was Wally and Usher on Matrimony. And of course, I don't really listen to hip hop like you guys do, but that was the last where I don't think they were in the studio together, but it just felt right. Because they well, were on topic. That's, I think, what mm-hmm. helps. The one thing that drives me nuts about Rick Ross, who everybody loves, is <laughs> if you listen to his verses, I'm like, did you even listen to the song you're <laughs> rapping on? You don't even, it doesn't make any sense. And that just shows that the artists, the two artists, are not on the same page. And it makes sort of very un- incohesive piece of work. And I know it doesn't matter if you're a Rick Ross fan. It's just like, ooh, a new Rick Ross song. I'm going to listen to it and pretend it's great. But if you're looking listening to it as a total piece of work, you got two. It's like a peanut butter and oatmeal sandwich. You got two different things. What you doing? Well, watch this. <laughs> I'm going I'm to loop her back into this. Because you guys remember when she was coming out and the label paid all of these big names to tweet about her and instagram about her mm-hmm. music well why not just keep doing with that don't put it ra- i mean it's basically glorified of what they did then by adding a rapper you're getting that right. rapper to shout out the song but they were putting their verse on it just pay these people to you know shout out the artist because they're dope we don't need to hear cardi b on all these songs and not add anything well mm-hmm. again it's it's good it's about getting spins on different platforms too so if you do that that gives yeah. the longevity yeah. an excuse to be on these different stations. Fair enough. Plus, I don't think Ed minds Cardi B being on every song anyway, so I think we're good, right, Ed? Uh, you go eat some pizza from the crust first and leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of Wale, guys, uh, he has a new song out with uh, Public Enemy number one, Sabrina Claudio. Ed, we'll talk about oh, her in boy. a second. But Wait, hold on. <laughs> Tom, Can you, you gonna... remind us why that's Public Enemy number one? Ed? Oh, boy. Did I miss something? What happened? Yeah. How'd you miss this? This was a thing. She got internet canceled. Oh, Um, right. Okay. I do remember that. And honestly, this is one of the few times where I was like, okay, you deserve this butt whipping lady. But she was, it was discovered that she had some very unsavory things to say about African Americans and black women back before she got big on Twitter. She was running her mouth. Tweets came back to bite her. How about y'all stop wilding out on Twitter? That's all I ask instead of calling people names and being ridiculous. Right. So she had to lay Tom, low after a while. Tom, I checked out this song at like, well, first of all, the song's like two minutes and 10 seconds long, which is a problem in itself. But her part really reminds me of an R&B song from like the 90s. I can't put my finger on it, but it looks like the label is yeah, trying to push We're starting to get market. a lot of that, tapping back into that 90s vibe. I'm starting to hear that more and more these days. And uh, yeah. I like it, but at the same time, it's just weird that things are moving in that direction. Well, it's it's weird, but it's not weird. It just shows, first of all, how old we're getting. Because we're at the point where this generation... And it's weird that it happened as late as it did. Because my generation, for instance, the mid-90s, you heard Puffy sampling all these records from the 60s and 70s that my parents loved. And we knew it growing up because we heard our parents playing this stuff. Now the parents of these kids are playing the records we grew up on, the Mary J's and the 90 sounds. So now that those are being incorporated, there's a whole new audience that's like, 
did you guys know that there was this group called Escape? And their songs were great. Oh, my God. So that's where this 90s revival is starting to come from. And as a 90s fan, I ain't mad. But then it is kind of weird when it's the stuff you love gets kind of co-opted. <laughs> right. Now, Tom and Ed, I want to hear this from you guys. Is it wise for the label to continue pushing Sabrina towards... Because like you said, Tom, it sounds like a 90s R&B song. Is it wise for them to push her in that lane? Ed, have the people forgiven her yet? Oh, please. Let me tell you about the internet. They're mad at you until there's something else to be mad at. Then it's all is forgiven. So the Sabrina thing, they had to lay her low because that was hot at the time. And honestly, the outrage in this case, I think, was kind of legit. So I but a label wants their investment. So they're like, let's keep her on the low. Let's bring her back, help her hop on the hottest wave right now, which is that 90 sound. From a strategy standpoint, is now another. I kind of can't blame them for doing it. And she's talented. So go for it and hope that everybody's mad at somebody else for something else at the moment. I don't know what we're mad about today, but I'm sure it's something. So why <laughs> not go for it? Right. Now, Tom, I think you got exciting news to, uh, to tell the people. Isn't intro back with a new record? I'm glad you brought this up, Kyle. Intro is back. Shout out to DJ Soulchild. I think he might have single-handedly found them and brought them back together to put this song out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, they're back. Ed, you haven't heard the song, right? I have not. Shout out to our Facebook uh, readers and people who chime in on there. It's gotten some mixed reviews. Uh, it's definitely a 90s vibe. It's called New York S-Word. I don't like to curse. And it's featuring Mr. Cheeks. It's definitely not the sound they had back in the 90s, I'll say that much. Um, hmm. It's definitely a retro influence. It's just, I don't know, you guys can check it out and chime in. It's exciting to have them back. It's actually just two members now, um, Buddy and, and Jeff Sanders, I believe are the names. Hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're back. We'll see. You know, I kind of had to find this one on my own. It wasn't really presented to us, so... It's another one of those groups that's, you know, trying to find their way in this new climate. So, well, I don't know. Well, it's interesting. I can't wait to hear that. And for some of our younger listeners who may not know, Intro, to me, is one of the great unsung stories of the 90s. They were a group that vocally were incredible. And it's just a shame. I felt like that, and I was talking to Tom about this a few days ago, I feel like at by the end of the decade, we should be talking about them the same way we talk about Drew Hill and 112 and Jagged Edge today. They definitely had that caliber of work, but for whatever reason, again, the 90s was such a competitive landscape, they kind of just got lost in the shovel. And then we lost Kenny in 2001, so that really hurt the lineup as well. But I thought they had a lot of potential, so kind of excited to hear them back trying one more time. Kyle, can I give that, another shout out? Yeah, go ahead. This is an now. This is an artist who is still at the top of their game, and they came way before the '90s, and they're still killing it. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Who was that? He just celebrated the number one single. Mm -hmm. Oh my Who's goodness, that? Johnny Gill, the legend. Yes, my, Johnny, my, my. my boy, my boy. <laughs> my, my, my. <laughs> Oh he just released Soul of a Woman, his new video. He has Tiffany Haddish in the video, which is epic. 
right there. But then he hit number one, and and I think it was like only ten or twelve weeks. I mean, he just whenever he puts something out, it just seems to fly up the charts. It's crazy. Number one, because those yeah. vocals are outstanding. One of the greatest of all time vocally. I said what I said and didn't stutter. And dude just has a very passionate fan base as well. Love me some Johnny. My favorite member of New Edition by far. Wow, even more so than Ronnie DeVoe? Um, I said what I said. Oh, man. I, okay. I'd have to go with Ralph Tresvon personally. No, huh? <laughs> well, guys, I'm with the people. I'm going with Ronnie. Uh, guys, since we're on the topic of intro, and Ed, I know I know you'll like this one. Let's go into our soul back track of the day. Can we give it to intro for the song "Come Inside"? One of my favorites, yes. And you talk about a song that hits a little bit differently when you're grown. Because when I was younger, I was just like, "Okay, come inside my house." Nope. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. I personally would go with "Let Me Be the One." That's my favorite intro song. Hmm. I didn't even know you no? listened to intro, Tom. Oh, come on, Kyle. I'm an R&B historian. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I love that song, too. Yeah. And we got to give a shout-out for them for uh, their rendition of the Stevie Wonder song, Ribbon in the Sky, because that is probably, to me, that and the Jodeci Lately cover, those are two, my two favorite Stevie Wonder covers. One of the not, best covers ever. I'm not, I wouldn't not, quite say it's better than Stevie, but it's mighty close. It's interesting that you brought up that point, though, Ed, you know, back when you were young and not realizing, because we do a lot of these shout-outs on Instagram, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, this album came out, and some people who chime in, some fans were like, oh, wow, this came out when I was four and I was listening to it. And that was adult material, like R&B back then. It's like grown mm-hmm. love music. People didn't even know what they were listening to, right? They certainly didn't. And the difference is, and this was the subtlety of R&B, you could talk about something very, very, very nasty, like intros for a single, but it wasn't explicit because there was still a sexiness and a sultriness about it. Now today, you go listen to Cousin Chris, he's going to tell you what he put, where he put it, where his <laughs> nose was. Or it's just like, dude, calm down. And I think that... <laughs> there, there's a, a art to songwriting about... You can be sexy and still kind of mask it in expert writing and that's something that's really been lost today because I would rather hear that than some of this stuff y'all boys put out where it's just <laughs> like alright dog dial it back a bit hey Ed I'm gonna need you to stay off the slander on Chris Brown Tom I'll tell you what you're gonna after this podcast you're gonna play some Migos for your little boy Mav and in 20 years I guarantee you he'll still have no idea what's going on <laughs> oh boy i don't even know what's going on man come on so there you go Real talk. oh man yep um and then along with that uh jay holiday i just want to add uh he dropped a new single feels right it has that jamaican reggae vibe to it island vibe so shout out to jay he's going to be heading out on tour in august um a couple of new albums set to come out, like I mentioned. Raheem Devon is going to come out. And then we have Chris Brown as well. Elle Varner comes out in mid-July. And, Ed, you'll be excited to know your favorite king of R&B, Jacquees, Round 2, second album, set to also come out in July. Are you excited? 
Oh, I can't wait for this guy. Now, listen, I as much as I have a lot of beef with that little child, his first album was okay, and I give credit when it was due. So we're going to see if it's time to put up or shut up with this King talk. <laughs> uh, speaking of King talk, though, Ed, we recently sent you a video of Keith Sweat talking about Kings of R&B. I think he was with, like, Pleasure P and yes. uh, one of the Casey brothers of Jagged Edge. What was going on in that video? What was what was Keith talking about? Player, listen, I, Keith is when you're a king or you got the crown. Sometimes the the conversation is like so transcendent that it kind of <laughs> goes above the heads of the oh normal my listeners. God. <laughs> wow. So even though I wasn't quite connected with what my man was saying, I am confident that it was profound and that he was hitting us with some knowledge. I just won't on that level to connect there yet. That is one That's of the worst me saying I don't know I've what ever... dude was talking about. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing, Ed. Wow. <sighs> Tom, that sounds kind of cool, hanging out with Keith Sweat, Pleasure P, and the Casey Brothers. That's one of the most random collection of artists you could find in one grouping. <laughs> I mean, damn. Where was this? Uh, in a club in Atlanta. I think they were, uh, they was, were on oh. that rock. Oh. It was clearly in a club. I don't know where, but it was clearly in somebody's club. And clearly, they were having a good time. I will leave it at that. <laughs> which, which, Tom, that leads me to my next question. What is Keith Sweat still doing at a club? I know. Isn't that past his bedtime, Ed? What? First of all, Keith Sweat invented the club. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he needs to put that leather jacket with the fur, put that away, get himself tucked into bed. It's 9 o'clock, man. Listen, I, w- I can't wait until he passes down that coat to me. I will walk up right <laughs> now into Target. It's 96 degrees down here in Birmingham. I will still wear that leather with the fur around the sides and be the flossingest person in the pharmacy department. Wow, that's impressive. Well, there you have it. And then uh, some more new music for you guys. Uh, Tom, isn't Cassie dropping a new song soon? You're asking me like I'd have any knowledge of that. <laughs> I was actually, like, why would true. Tom know this? <laughs> Tom actually messaged us with like the most legit question ever. With the straightest face, he wasn't even trying to be funny. He asked, how does Cassie get paid? What does she do? Ed? <laughs> I said, what does she do for a living these days? That's a legitimate no, question. That what is, is exactly what he said. And I mean, I think, and I would certainly be corrected if I'm wrong, doesn't she do some kind of fashion makeup type stuff like modely stuff i've seen her do stuff like that so i mean clearly she's not living off of puffs checks anymore so i assume that's what she's doing i don't know guys we don't care uh, yeah <laughs> moving on um so guys i guess we gotta grab our popcorn and our soda now because we will be bringing in our special guest all right guys welcome back to soul back and like i said every week we try to bring in someone special, someone who has brought soul back. And Tom, I think we have someone who did just that. Who do we have today, Tom? Yeah, I'm excited to introduce this week's guest because I, I spent a lot of time with this this guy in, in SOBs, many nights, uh, you know, putting together shows for Soul Village. You know, not only did I appreciate that, but just appreciate the fact that he's been such a pioneer in the independent music game and R&B and such a trendsetter there. It's one of the best performers I can honestly say I've seen live and just keeps coming with such great R&B music. Proud to welcome Eric Roberson. Hey, hey, hey. What's good, guys? Appreciate it. 
What's up, man? Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, Eric, before we got on the podcast, we were all just talking about your music and the impact that you've had on R&B. And, Ed, I'm going to throw it to you because I know you love Eric Roberson. What is it about his music that, that, that you love? Man, well, you know, the whole reason we are here for this podcast is because we're bringing soul back. And my man Arrow is just the personification of soul. And the thing that I love about him is that his music has endured. We've seen a lot of artists from the 2000s, and Eric's been doing it even before then, into the 90s, mid-90s and going forward. We've seen a lot of artists peak, have their run, come down. But he has been consistent, just dropping albums like every other year, like clockwork. And each mm-hmm. one, the the quality has maintained that level of consistency. So wow. when you know when you're going to hear from my man, you're going to get a solid project. You're going to get real soul. So to me, from a fan, coming from a fan, if he would say a music fan first, we appreciate what mm-hmm. he does in keeping soul alive. Man, I truly appreciate it. You know, uh, for me, I guess if there's a level of consistency, you know, it starts from that I'm a fan first and, and, you know, and I'm probably creating really from a void, you know, I, I'm fortunate that I, you know, I wake up most days or, or through my day, I, I hear ideas, I hear songs, I hear lines, um, I hear melodies and I'm constantly chasing, chasing those down. I've never got tired of, of trying to find or unlock that, that a formula, um, you know that that sometimes is is dancing around in my head, and for me, you know, it's you know, I'm I'm trying to please myself first. I'm trying to give myself a feeling, um, musically and 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 prayfully, hopefully, that somebody can relate to it when they when they hear it. So when I hear, you know, something like what what Ed just said, man, that's a um, very very rewarding. You know, it shows that um, you know, those hours of of working on this stuff isn't in vain. Absolutely. Now, Eric, I gotta call you out. You have an album called Mr. Nice Guy, but let's go into your discography. Love My Life by Case, Merry Go Round by Music, Funny Feelings by One Twelve. Man, I know they call you Mr. Nice Guy, but I was so heartbroken when I was listening to those songs. So we might have to take away Mr. Nice Guy from the title and call you Mr. I don't even know, but man, just talk about those. <laughs> Mr. Sad Guy. Mr. Sad Guy. Oh my, those are some of the saddest songs. <laughs> I'm gonna throw this guy out of here. Well, well, I mean, you know, really, all uh, you know, the funny thing is, I learned a long time ago. Um, well, two things. One, I, I promised myself, and this was probably, I want to say, in college, like when I was you know, really going to another level. I remember hearing, I was always writing songs, but then hearing uh, Terrence and Darby's Vibrator album that 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 really went nowhere. I mean, that joint went triple wood, right? <laughs> um, but but the record it, it spoke to me, man. Just I felt the writing was so good on that album, and it just made me just really take writing, you know, to another level. It just made me take it more serious. And I remember saying to myself, you know, whatever happens in my life from this point on, I'm gonna write about it, and with no compromise. Whether it's gonna get me in trouble, whether it's gonna make me sound crazy or whatever. If I got hurt, I was gonna write about it. If if I fell in love, I was going to write about it. If I had an argument, whatever whatever happened, my best days would be turned into a song, and my worst days would be turned into a song. And and what's crazy is, 
you know, I've really made a living off of, you know, a lot of my worst day, worst days, you know. <laughs> you know, funny feelings was a I could tell you the day that happened and exactly what I was feeling and, and how let down I was that day. Um and I think the adrenaline of being so upset and so hurt, you know, allowed me to, to, to craft a song on guitar. That was the first guitar song I ever wrote. I picked I picked my dad's guitar. Now mind you I watched my dad play guitar my entire life. So, you know, it wasn't just like I just walked past a you know, a guitar on at a you know, at a music store, just picked it up and started playing. But I um but it but that song was all emotion, you know. So you know, for me a lot of times I, I, I started realizing that one when people hear a sad song they also realize that they're not alone, you know. Um right. you know it's crazy, I just got a message from a guy on Instagram that his wife passed uh on my birthday last year which was crazy and 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 he wrote to just say how his his, his life is, is is pretty tough right now and you know his kids are pulling him through and uh in his family and uh and he said my song still you know has really helped uh helped him out a lot and you know still is it was a song about losing a losing a loved one but when I made the video I decided to make the video the guy losing his wife to cancer and I can't tell you how many people have have reached out to me to, to to share how much that song has helped, and it's crazy because the song doesn't end in a positive note. The song just shows this life that that a lot of people are living, and those people just need to know at a moment when they see it that they're not alone, that someone else is feeling that way. You know, when you when you really deal with something traumatic, a lot of times you feel like. You know, the life your life is is a movie, and you're just the lead character. You're the only person dealing with this. And I think when you when when you put a sad song out, a lot of times, you know, that girl who's got a heart broken, or that guy who's got his heart broken, or somebody who's lost a, a someone real close to them, they hear those songs and they go, "Wow, I'm not alone." And um, and, and and you know, it's 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 brought a lot of my success from those kind of songs, but it's. It's also been very rewarding because it's been able, to, been able to help a lot of people that I didn't think I'd be able to help. Oh, that's that's very deep, man. I mean, definitely we we can feel it when we listen to those type of songs. So, you know, we received that you know that message as well. Cool. Um, what I want to touch on next, and I, this this feels just you know so much like a love fest. But we really admire you as an artist, Eric. And one of the things I admire most is how fearlessly you approach your career with such confidence. I mean. I just remember hearing this story you used to tell about how you used to show up to shows early on in your career with not even enough gas money, and you'd need to earn that money at that show by selling CDs to, to even get home. I thought that was such a cool thing to hear, and then how you kind of shunned major labels, went the indie route. But mostly, I mean, how you have this new album out that you're releasing exclusively to your, your biggest fans, those who, who back you on your site, who will, um, you know, pay a few dollars to support you and they get it first and they get to hear it exclusively. So talk about how you, how, you know, that approach of it. Well, you know, you know, the funny thing is even going back to, you know, my, my early days of, of, of doing independent stuff of like going in and, you know, like say selling CDs to get home, you know, the, you know, a lot of stuff, it goes back to one, I, I have to touch back on Howard where one of the things I learned back then was, you know, if you want to do something, you got to go into it full steam. I think I learned that from my teachers, who who a lot of my professors were, you know, still, 
you know, musicians in the industry or or actors in the industry. And, um, you know, so when I graduated college, it was like, it wasn't like I was going to wait tables and try to do music on the side. It was like either sink or swim. And I was doing theater at the time. When I first graduated, I was I was really doing musical theater. So I was, you know, auditioning and, and, and doing plays and trying to make it happen. And, you know, there was a lot of, you know, as soon as the play was over, you're unemployed to the next one. And, that's, and the music industry was the same way. It's, you know, as a songwriter, I had a lot of success. But, but you know, there was really, really successful months followed by really, really quiet months. You know, I might may, I may make a, a ton of money one year, and the following year I might not make anything. And, it, and that's just how the music business is. Um, but I knew I needed to be close to it. So if I could write for somebody else, if I could sing background on somebody's tour or whatever. So I, so my way of thinking when it came to putting an album out was the same way. It was like, okay, you know, we, we got some shows here in New York and New Jersey, but how do you get to Chicago? How do you get to Columbus, Ohio? How do you get to, you know, Oakland, California? And a lot of it was finding these venues who, who are somebody who might have a, an event that already had people there, I can't just automatically go, hey, I'm Eric Roberson, and you got to pay me such and such, so how do you do it? Hey, if I come to your event and you like it, next time will you pay me was was really how I built everything. And and meeting musicians, I'll go to Cleveland and meet musicians. I'll go to Columbus, Ohio, meet musicians, and those guys will play for me. I didn't have a band at the time. So for me, it was, it was like just it's going to work because you got to figure it out. And, and in no way was I going to allow – myself to sit at home and not let it happen you know if i was going to fail i was going to fail <laughs> where where the answer was at you know right um and and even you know being a songwriter i think if i didn't if i didn't get in the business as a songwriter and work on so many albums that didn't come out sure sure you know you see the music soul childs and the jill scotts and the vivian greens the, the carl thomases the the case, you know, all those, Charlie Wilson's, but for every album I worked on that came out and you saw those songs, there was an album that didn't come out. Mm. And that artist, I watched them go back home and I watched those dreams get crushed and them, and they'll go back to getting a nine to five. And sure, they might have found happiness and found some success in other ways, but I remember that, that, that taste of that. Like, wow, what happened to that music? And, or, or, or what the world was robbed of. Just name your favorite, famous favorite artist, and just imagine if that album never came out, how much you would miss. And that happened all the time in the music business, just because a lot of times it was too dope or too ahead of its time for the label to understand. And that, that happened. I mean, we could we could talk all night just about those those situations. People, you'll say <laughs> this guy's going to change music, or that girl's going to be the next Erica Badu, or such a whatever, and they just never came out. And you go like, God. So for me. You know, I got to a point in my life, you know, I was getting my upper 20s, and I was like, you know, the label stuff wasn't working out. The songwriting was cool, but I had all these personal songs I wasn't willing to sell. And I was like, man, I'm just willing to let it go. Like, I'm just willing to let, not like, like stop doing it. I'm just willing to let anybody have it, whoever wanted it. And that's really how it started. And and then the fans who eventually gravitated to those music, they challenged me to do more. And then that, from that point, you had, I had to kind of learn business, you know, but... Um, I can't say there was a fearlessness. I, I think I just was too dumb to stop. You know, I was like, <laughs> you know, it was like I it gotta work. You know, it ha- has to it has to work. Tom, I don't, I don't know if I ever told you how SOBs really started, how Soul Village even started. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, we were, I know it, I was, at this point I was a really successful songwriter. I was trying to do shows and everybody said, well, you know, The Roots and, and everybody is performing at SOBs. If you want to do a show, you should do it at SOBs. And me and, me and my, my manager at the time was calling and they wouldn't book me. They were like, okay, we don't know who you are and this and that. And what, can we just try a show? No, no, just constant calls. And then one day we called and said, well, just how much does your venue cost? And they said, it was going to cost this. And I was like, well, what day do you have open? And I don't even think it was a Friday. I think it was like a Wednesday or something. Mm-hmm. And we booked we booked SOBs ourselves. You know, uh-huh. if you're not going to book me, I'm going to buy your place and I'm going to do my own show. And the show was so successful um, that from that point on, they started booking me. And then eventually, probably a year or two after that, they said, are there other artists like you, you know, that, that don't really uh-huh. have a platform? And I was like, definitely. And, I was like, and that's how Soul Village so really started, you know, um, but it's just more of like not allowing that no. It, it, the no doesn't exist, or shall I say, that get to the no faster so you can find the yeses. That's probably more important. Yeah, yeah. amazing. And you've had so yeah, much but... success as an independent artist, Ed. I want to I want to loop you in now because you know on this podcast we we talk about you know we talk to so many independent artists, many R and B artists who were on majors. They went indie, and they've they've had mixed results, you know. But, Ed, from your perspective, what is the biggest shortcoming that independent artists make when they try to, you know, get themselves out there? Man, and I know Arrow can speak to this um, on a different level. To me, I feel like the struggles that I see from a reviewer standpoint as a critic that we see from independent artists is that, they come on, they get the opportunity to have their voice, and a lot of these artists sometimes are bringing something new to the table. And once they start getting that shine, whether it's their fault or the fault of a label, whomever, I feel like that, that thing that made them special, that made them them, they start tinkering with that sound to sound like the mainstream or whatever's hot in the streets. They lose that kind of individuality that they had before, and that's where things start getting lost creatively. Arrow, in your mind, what do you think is kind of right now the biggest struggle for independent artists coming up and any advice you can give them to maintain that individuality so they can stand out in the marketplace? Well, you know, one part, and, and I, don't, I don't know if this is the exact answer, but this is one thing that, that I learned and, and it was an observation I watched. The years of watching Soul Village, and Tom, you maybe even can relate to this, I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many artists I remember. You know, first of all, this is a show that we did. We would showcase three to six acts a month, and we did it for close to twenty years. You know, mm-hmm. and so just imagine how many artists we got a chance to watch. I can't tell you how many times an artist would come off the street for and do sound check. They might still have their book bag on or a baseball cap on or whatever, and they will blow you away at sound check. Just oh, my God, they're going to kill tonight. And then they go downstairs in the dressing room, and they take off what they were comfortable in, and they put on something that they or someone thinks they should be wearing in front of the crowd. Mm. And, 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 they, and they come on stage with a different persona than who they were when they just naturally just came off the street and walked on stage and did sound check. And it just didn't work. You know, it, uh, the show wasn't as good. And... And I remember having that show. I remember years and years before my first my first album or anything. I remember 
uh, doing a show at SOBs. I think it was like my third show at SOBs. And it was a bad show. I think, I, you know, I got this motorcycle jacket somebody gave me and some scully I was wearing all tilted to the side. <laughs> and I was trying to do all this stuff. And I remember, like, I remember, like, all my friends really saying, like, that show wasn't good. And and from that moment on, it was like, you know, I'd rather be the guy who got on, on stage with a T-shirt on. And you said, yo, that guy killed. I wish he didn't wear a T-shirt, but he killed rather than, yo, that dude's outfit was amazing. And this show was all right, you know. And um, so, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, and it's a fine balance because, sure, you, that's one part, right? But then the one thing about R&B and soul music is that, you know, as you as you live, you change, and as you change, your music changes, and there there needs to be kind of like one foot in and one foot out. You kind of have to know what your demographic is and what they're looking for out of your music, as well as you know the changes that you go through. Whereas, like, say, let's take a Joe perfect example. Joe has grown great through his career, and he's really applied certain changes, but there hasn't been much major changes from, say, Joe's first album to Joe's most recent work, maybe a maturity for the most part, right? But if you look at, like, an Erykah Badu, uh, there's been a drastic change from mm-hmm. the first album to the to the more recent stuff. You look at a D'Angelo, um, even look at an Anthony Hamilton, it's like when you go to Africa and come home, you're not going to be the same person. When you fall in love with somebody, you're not going to be the same person. And a lot of times your music changes. And um, I've been fortunate that I feel like my music has has changed several times, but maybe not to the point to where you can you can alienate, you know, a, a core fan base. If anything, for me, you know, you know, we're talking about we're we're at 15 albums in 19 years, right? So, just realistically, it's hard to keep that person who who was there at album number one. It's hard to keep their attention to album number 15. We still have sold-out shows. It's just different people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's kind of I, what I relate to is, is um, you know, I still play Stevie Wonder's songs in the key of life. I still play Talking Book. But they got to a point where I wasn't really buying Stevie's records. Not saying that Stevie wasn't incredible, nor was he not putting out incredible music. But my relationship with his music peaked. And, and that's something mm-hmm. that you kind of just have to relate to. And mind you, the same way, you know, you'll meet, a lot of young fans, let's say of Michael Jackson, and they'll be like, "Oh, dangerous." They'll talk about dangerous, and they won't even talk about Thriller. You're like, "What about Thriller?" Like, nah, because they, they don't even know about it. They came in at at a different a different point. So, you know, I think to a degree, you know, some artists have to be satisfied with that when you're putting out a lot of work. But um, but the goal is that you got to make sure that you that you're not trying to please others. If if you heard something in your spirit. And you followed it, you know, sink or swim, it's a success. But if you're if you're like clout chasing, if somebody else did something, you're like, oh, that's what works now. Let me try to do that. That's not really the right formula for success, and it's not going to carry you for long. Yeah. Well, Errol, let point. me um, let me challenge you on this a little bit because you brought up some really great points that we talk about here a lot on the podcast. And it's funny you mentioned MJ's catalog because not long ago I ranked his discography. And there were a lot of fans who I think I had Dangerous at, like, number three or four. And they were like, oh, you crazy. That's the best one. And I'm like, what happened to Thriller and Off the Wall? No, no, no. <laughs> because as fans, you gravitate toward your entry point. So if your first MJ right. album was Dangerous, obviously that's going to be your best. 
if your first Arrow album is Music Fan First, that's going to be your favorite. But what we've seen over the years with artists, you mentioned some great examples with a Joe or even yourself, people who have evolved over time but still yeah. stuck to their core sound. But there have been other artists, I ain't going to name no names, I'm going to be good today, tonight, Tom. So <laughs> there have been some who have I want you to name off. names. <laughs> I know all night. But there's some who have started off at one sound and then boom, EDM is hot. Let me hop here. Boom, trap is hot. Let me drop here. And you got drastic sounds and you got a fan base that's almost angry because it's like this isn't what we signed up for. So how do we balance between and I talk about this a lot too, fans have to let artists grow and experiment and do some other things. How do we balance between the growth and the clout chaser, because that's what we're seeing in R&B right now, and it's causing that division among fans, and it's hurting some of our legendary artists. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the one thing I don't know is, like, for those who are clout chasing, you know, it's one thing is, you know, if they're still, if they're still performing, if they're still, like, loving what they're doing, or if they're still or if there's still success to it. Let's say, you know, you change your sound and you may not have you may have alienated your original fan base but yet gained this whole new fan base. And so let's say they're doing like sold out shows. I don't know if that's necessarily it may not be for the betterment of a certain genre of music, but that may not be the worst thing for that particular artist. And I and the only reason I say that is from an inside I, I can tell you I know a lot of people who who have had major success and are not happy. And that was a mm-hmm. big thing about me going into independent music because I saw, mm-hmm. you know, okay, the plaques, the success, the money. If you had to sing a song for the rest of your life that you don't like, God, that's they're miserable. Yeah. They're miserable. And so for me it was my, you know, the blessing thing of being an independent artist is I don't have to compromise. You know, it's like you kind of got to realize what you want and where you're at with it. What's your What's your real goal? Now, if your real goal is to make sure that you got three Bentleys in the driveway, then you might have to just do whatever you need to do to keep that going. And that might also explain why, you know, you're doing, you know, you know, different types of music that, that made your fan base kind of scratching their head, like, why is he doing that, you know? Um, but it also might just be that you got a true love for music, you know, and you were introduced as this particular person, right? That your opportunity came as an R and B artist. But if someone ever looked at your phone, your phone is full of like gangster rap. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like it's like, wow, you know, I, I can tell you plenty of, of of soul artists that if I look at their phones, their phone has no soul music in it. You know, and it doesn't mean like that they're not fans of soul music. It's like, okay, it's what they do, so they kinda need a different a different pull. You know, my, my catalog, my my C D collection and my album collection is probably just as much rock and roll in there as as it is soul music. But it's just because I'm a fan of all kinds of music or, or that I look for soul music in all forms of music. Like when I listen mm-hmm. to classical, I, if there's a certain kind of classical music that I listen to. There's a certain kind of country music that I listen to because I'm listening for for that thing that kind of has soul music. And that goes the same thing for R&B. Like, I'm not really a fan of just every R&B. It's a, it's a certain type of R&B that has a has a has an element of soul in it that that really draws me, and that's like my favorite type of music. Um, 
But, you know, I, I think it goes down to really seeing what that artist is doing. Now, when we get into, like, the betterment of, of R&B, you know, keeping a, a genre alive, or keeping it, you know, sure, you know, a lot jumping like that is not really helpful. Um, and But I think there's there's plenty of artists that are keeping a genre alive. I think we have to just, you know, constantly always keep looking, keep feeding um, those artists. But, you know, I think it goes back to in, nowadays, man, you know, I think it might be clout changing, but a lot of times it might just be that that person always had an interest in that. And, and you know, I don't know how much an industry accepts change, too. Like, case in point, Missy Elliott introduced herself as a silly artist. She she had a hefty bag blown up as a balloon in a video, <laughs> right? So she so it, it wasn't odd for her to, you know, three albums, four albums later, to do something weird. Now, if Tweet came out the way she did and as amazing as she was, you know, three albums later comes out in a balloon bag, you're like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> but she might have always been just as silly as Missy. You know what I mean? It's just how you introduce yourself is is important, you know, how you introduce yourself because for the most part, people are going to want you to be in that lane. You know, that, they don't want too drastic of a change. Um, so it's it's probably more of, a, more of a statement that you need to be prepared when you introduce yourself of who you are. And, uh, so that people can can grow with you, you know, mm. um, you know. But uh, you know, everybody's an individual, so it's a little bit of both. You know, I don't I don't know if everybody's making the same mistake. It's it's I think it's a different story for each artist. Right. Now, Eric, I got to ask you this: we we talk about this a lot on the podcast. Just what the definition of R and B is in 2019. Ed and I were just talking about this yesterday. You know, we read that Quavo from the Migos. He announced that he wants to make an R&B album, and to <laughs> us who grew up listening to '90s and, and 2000s R&B, we're like, that's he doesn't make R&B. But you ask some of these kids that listen to music nowadays, a guy that's auto tuning with melody, they consider that R&B. So, is it even possible to convince the youth that that isn't R&B? Like, what's the balance there? You know, I think it goes back to, um, you know. I remember, like, when Guy came out, and, like, it sure was New Jack Swing, but at the end, it was still R&B, right? Um, and there were some drastic changes. So so I wrestle, I personally wrestle with not being, you know, uh, that guy, you know, that, that guy going, you know, hey, what y'all doing ain't real music or that, is, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. I try to, try to understand, you know, what everybody's doing, what everybody's feeling, um, you know, but yeah, it's a, it, it is a change to a degree, um, and at the same time, there's still artists doing actual R and B. You know, first of all, R and B is rhythm and blues, and yeah, Quavo or just even most R and B today isn't rhythm and blues, or at least doesn't have the blues in it. You know, and rhythm and blues, if you really look back to the origin of it, is like really the undertone of rock music. Little Richard, you know, uh, Chuck Berry, so so. Um, it, it, it's always transformed. It's always transformed um, when you when you when you look at it. But there's this undertone of like soul and sadness and and African rhythms and like you know that that's the, the cores of of R and B. And 
it could kind of evolve. I just don't know if it's evolving to the level of like Quavo. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think it's that's, that might be like really taking a distance. But what I will tell you is that I remember listening to Kendrick Lamar at one point, like his first album, and going, "That's a ballad. That's a that's a that's a love ballad." Like where, you know, and 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 what I would say is that an artist. Quavo probably 15 years ago might have been a singer, really might have been. And Kendrick Lamar, same way. You have a lot of people with, with actual, you could tell that they actually have some level of vocal understanding. And it's just in the climate of today, they're more leaning towards rap music. But they're still rhyming over ballads. Like they're rhyming over, you know, Kendrick Lamar went on, on tour with a, a saxophone player on his first album. And it's like, so what happens is there's, they're still feeding live instrumentation. They're still feeding some level of, of, of musicality. But what happens is that person who, that Tevin Campbell is being wiped off the slate. You know, it's almost like the climate right. change, like the, the ice is melting. Where are the polar bears going? Like the Tevin mm-hmm. Campbells of today are the polar bears. And they're like moving. They're like standing on this little, little piece of ice. You know what I mean? And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, but it's, it's not saying that it's gone. It's just evolving and changing and, and I, and I think with all things, as much as we when we think things go too far, here comes this this artist and they, and it and they pulls it back to neutral. And I think that was the same thing. Tony 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 did that thirty years ago. D'Angelo did that twenty five years ago. You know, um, you know, it's, it's constantly that the Anthony Hamilton, the Hamiltons, they're pulling it back. You know, um, so you know, I. I, I, I before it goes too far, I think someone always comes back and places the flag back for R&B and goes, here, we're here, and it, and it pulls it back going, oh, that's how it sounds. But it, but it's it's had its years of veering off. You know, it's had its years yeah. of, I think people might have said the same thing for about Jodeci, as crazy as that might sound now looking back, or the same thing about Guy, or the same thing about Horace Brown, you know, um, or really Father MC when you stop and think about it. You know, like, though he, he was rhyming, it was, it was it was it was R and B music. He was he was rhyming over it, you know. So people were going like, "That's not R, you know. What is that? It, it's pulling away the culture." And what happened was it, it was it was hurting the Freddie Jacksons. It was hurting the, the the Phil Perrys. The you know, it was hurting the people Brysons and the and the and the, um, the James Ingrams. Um, they would they became the polar bears of that you know that time of that real estate. But somebody always brings up puts the flagship back in and it kind of pulls it back. Well, Eric, we're just about out of time. I just want to share one last story with you because this is something I always think about. It involves a performance that was at of yours. Um, this was at the Essence Music Festival a few years ago when you were performing. And th- this impacted me big time. I've shared the story with the guys, but it was in the convention center, right? They had you performing there, you know, the day people could come in the convention center before the show at night and go to different uh, vendors and see some live performances and meet and greets and such. But they had you performing on the main stage, right, you know, doing an amazing performance as always. And then two booths away, I believe it was like a McDonald's or a something booth, they had a DJ, and he was just playing some trendy hip-hop. And, man, when I tell you it was so packed for that trendy booth, I was just so upset because two, two booths away was you putting on this dope performance and all these people were missing out because they were just trying to get down to the younger, trendier stuff. It just it bothered me a lot, and I still think about it. So I don't even know 
how you think about something like that. You know, I, I, when I'm, I'm trying to remember that, but you know, you know, for me, it's it, it, you rock out for whoever you have. You know, um, I, at the end of the day, you know, you. I know a lot of performers who who look at performancing performances as almost like a boxing match, like you win some and you lose some, right? And I I've never really understood that. Like I, to me, each one is like a blessing opportunity, whether mm-hmm. it's whether it's four people, four hundred or four thousand. I've had the opportunity to perform in front of all numbers, right? But you got to give the same thing for whoever you're performing for, and you got to also realize that you're you're blessed and fortunate. You know, if it if it you know sometimes you're gonna have not have great sound or you know the production or just people not really appreciating what you're doing, and and, that, and that's pretty tough. But you know, for me, I really work really hard on how I perceive things. And the one thing that you know, my first show in D.C. was 30 people. And now, now we we do a thousand people now. You know, we doing mm-hmm. we're doing the Kennedy Center later this month, and it, you know, uh, you wow. know, when I look at Atlanta, you know, my first show was Apache Cafe, might have hold seventy people, and now we do Center Stage that holds fifteen hundred people, you know, or we do wow. three four nights at City Winery, you know, and I look at those cities. I look at London now, and even when we do London, like when we do a European tour, you know. We'll do London, and it might be a thousand people at that show in London. And the very next day, you know, we'll do Manchester, and there'll be, you know, a hundred and fifty people. And you got to mm. give them the same show, the same energy, the same love, in one because that that hundred and fifty room eventually might be a thousand room too. You know, I, I saw the growth. I saw how fortunate and blessed I am. So you know, even if it's you know you're in a you know convention hall and right next door is going crazy. And, and you have a certain amount, you got to be really appreciative of those who came because, yo, you know what? You earn those people. And I'd rather have people in front of me that I earn than people that I bought or, right. or, or people who were shoved into a room and, and like, force-fed, you know, and, and really being an independent artist and not really having the radio play and not really having, you know, magazines or that that that, that really kind of amplified. I've never had the, the monster label budget of, of you know, $300,000 um, radio budget or nothing like that. So what we did was we went to towns and we we worked in front of small crowds and we earned them and we got to be bigger crowds. And you know when I look back now at the fan base, I, I'm appreciative that we had the opportunity to earn them. So and for me, it, none of that really bothered me. But I can see how someone can can be dejected. But you know we battle tested, man. We we the cockroaches of the industry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that convention hall. When I look at it, something like that, that that's nothing. Cause you know for years we we show up in venues and no one knew the music, no one knew who we were, and we had to you know we had to teach the songs. We we weren't singing Marvin Gaye songs and Barry White songs. No, we were singing our original material. And it's like sink or swim. We got to try to earn these people and 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 come back and you know and it, and it worked, man. So. For me, it's it's about perception, man, and, and it's and it's understanding what your purpose is, and 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 realizing the path. Like even in this podcast, like this podcast, you know, it it it's growing, and it, and before you know it, it, you know, you might have a write up in the Rolling Stone. It's like wow, you just never know when that happens. You just gotta keep rolling your sleeve up and doing what you love, and and eventually the rewards start paying off. That's an amazing outlook, man. We can really appreciate that. Yeah. So. So, Eric, we're out of time. Um, before you go, do you mind just letting everyone know where they can check out this new music you have out? 
Yes, yeah. So we have this interesting thing called the process. Uh, it's a it's a music community group that we have, and it's on a Patreon page. Um, uh, and what it is is people subscribe to follow me in the studio. Right now we're a little under 500 people, and we do songwriting workshops, we do Q and A's, and it's really what it is. Everyone gets a copy of every idea and every song I have as fast as I make it. So you get a chance to watch the process from an idea I have to who I shopped it to, to when we brought other musicians in to play on it, and to where we you know did live strings on it or got it mixed or, the, or landed on a, on a project. Um, and I did an album for that group right now, and the album's called LNS. They actually A&R'd the album. They picked what songs made the album, and um, and they helped with the album cover. They voted which album cover. I mean, they really A&R'd to, to a full level. And um, eventually we'll, we'll release the, the album um, publicly, but right now we're just having fun keeping it internally because, I mean, it's it's really a group of music lovers. And I, I, I would say even if someone, you know, if you if you love music, it's five dollars a month. Just take a peek. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's like there's over a hundred songs in there right now, and wow. you can you can leave at any time. You know, it's just in there, and we're we're just having a good time. And it's just really, in a way, for me, it was like we're we're in an industry now. Where people don't know who did what. There's really no credits to read. Why not show them everything? You know, uh, why not give you an inside peek at like how we how we create. So um so that's where the new album is at right now. It's it's at um patreon dot com slash Eric Roberson. But you can just go to my website, Eric Roberson Music dot com and all you have to do is see join the process and, and all the stuff is there. That's awesome, man. Hey Eric, thank you so much once again for joining us. You've been an amazing guest, shared so much insight. We really enjoyed it. I appreciate it, man. I had a great time. Let me know when, when we're doing it again. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I'll I'll talk to you soon. And guys, that was Eric Roberson on the podcast. Man, I love talking to that guy. He's such a smart guy, and he knows the independent route. He knows R&B. And he's such a humble dude as well. With somebody who's been in the game as long as he's been and had the success that he's had, he could definitely be a little cockier about it. But he's always been humble and always been true to the art form. So much respect to my man, Arrow. Yep, absolutely. Are you guys ready now for the Play It Please Awards? Always. Um, so earlier we talked about Sabrina Claudio and whether people have forgiven her for her racist comments or her tweets from way back in the day. Now, Ed, one of your favorite artists, Miley Cyrus, made a racist comment towards hip-hop in general. And uh, I know at times you have called her a culture vulture. Well, yep. she... She dropped her new album, or she's set to drop her new album soon, and she apologized for those comments, and I think she's like now back to making hip-hop. Well, first of all, let me clean this up a little bit and, and clarify why she gets a huge Player Please Award this week. First of all, the EP that she dropped has already been released, and the EP did not quite do as well as she expected. For a little bit of background for those who miss, we all remember twerking stage Miley. When white America suddenly thought that she invented twerking, even though the freaking yin yang twins have been twerking since 1999, but whatever. So she, at the time, decided to throw on her hip hop hat and get her hip hop beats and throw on her fake grill and play rapper and sell some records off of that. Afterwards, she decided that she, quote unquote, had grown up and grown out of hip hop and wasn't going to do it anymore. 
to me, people, that is the textbook definition of appropriation. You took a culture, you threw it on like a costume, and we got tired of playing with it. You threw it in the trash. So then she put out some time has passed. Career, music-wise, didn't really do as much as it did in the twerking stage. So this new EP was a return to that sound. And people like me were pretty pissed off because she's going back in her closet to play rapper again. So this EP came out, and it wasn't, I've listened to some of it, it wasn't as hip-hop inspired as she made it sound, just kind of lightly done. But EP didn't do nothing. So then we get the big apology about how I was misgiven in the past and I may have hurt some feelings and blah, blah, blah. Player, where was that apology before then? You've had years of this criticism, but now you want to play nice after the thing goes double wood? I'm not here for it. Hmm. All right. Next player, please. Tom, I know you haven't had KFC in a while, right? When was the last time you had KFC? Ah. Oh, man. Was that KFC you ate the other day? No, I had Chick-fil-A the other day. Oh. <laughs> KFC, I've de- it's been a, probably over a decade, I'd say. Well, the play of please is for KFC's new item, which might intrigue you, actually, Tom. It is called a Cheetos chicken sandwich. Um, Cheetos? From the looks of it, yeah, it looks like it's just like bread. Uh, deep fried chicken breast and Cheetos chips on top of it. Yeah, I saw it. It looks like hot garbage. <laughs> Would uh, you be eating it, Tom? It's not going to get me back to KFC, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I mean, play yeah. the sandwich literally looks like somebody threw some Cheetos and a sandwich in the trash and somebody pulled it all out and it was just all together. Like, that's how it looks. Interesting. Yeah, this reminds me back of like back in like elementary school when people would put like chips in their sandwich. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Uh and Ed, the last player please, which will also be part of your love letters coming up. Um, one of your favorite rappers of all time, Nelly. Did you see his tweet that he made about Obama? Oh no. No, I did not see this. What did this dude say? So, Nelly posed the question to the people of social media. How would you feel if your girl slept with Obama? And then he followed what? up with, I thought about this for 36 hours and I realized it wouldn't be so bad. I mean, she would be sleeping with the most famous black person ever. This actually what? happened? This happened. Oh, my oh God. My. Well, see, I told y'all, see, this is why you always need to listen to me. I told y'all in 1999 or 2000, whenever that, um, whatever that weird song he had, it came out. I was like, this dude is a problem. And everybody rolled the wave and, oh, Nelly's the greatest thing ever. I might take me 20 years, but I'm going to prove myself right. He's a weirdo. Who thinks about this for 30-something hours? (laughs) The interesting thing is, like, back... When he first came out, and I was, believe it or not, guys, when I was in high school, I was a big Nelly fan. I'll admit right here, live Ugh. on the Soulback podcast. However, Terrible. that was a good thing before social media. Some of these artists couldn't make a fool of themselves in public because they, you know, the label restricted them. So now this is what we get. We see exactly. who they really are. And have it you guys, only, is there, but have you guys seen, like me to have to remember these kind of misgivings of the '90s? Kyle, have you looked at Jaheem's Instagram page? 
Yes, I have, and the guy is for, going for, off on uh, me. For, for starters, not even the rants. The guy wears a crown and, like, a... I don't even know what the heck he's wearing, but he wears, like, a crown in everyday public around the mall and yep. to the stores. He's I, also, I don't know what's going on. Tom, he's also vegan now, which might explain a lot. Why does that explain anything? It explains a lot. If you eat the fried chicken skins, I think the blood will flow better in your brain, and you won't be rolling around with a Burger King crown in public. And <laughs> <laughs> that seems like something you do. Absolutely not. I would wear a furry jacket with leather in 90-degree weather, but I'm not wearing a Burger King crown. I do have a little bit of self-respect. Ugh. What better to compliment your puffy jacket with fur than a Burger King crown? <laughs> Why am I on this podcast? I ask myself this every week. Uh, but yeah, Tom, Joaquin's Instagram, uh, he's been telling people don't go to this show because I won't be there. Even though he's billed as like the uh, the top act on the show, it looks like he's canceling shows before he uh, before the date even comes. He's announcing to his fans, don't go, get your refund. That's kind of crazy. I don't know what's happening. It's sad all around. I hate to see him vent and rant like that because it it can't be good to his fans to read that. Uh, who knows what he's going through, but man, Jaheem, I hope it works out for you. Now let's get some new music. Yep. Shout us to Jaheem. So, Ed, back to Nelly. Um, I think I have figured out what went wrong with Nelly. Oh, well, you, I'm sure you, I got a list, so please tell me. Doesn't he have a song called Pimp Juice? Yep. So that's probably what he was sipping on when he made that tweet. He was sipping on that Pimp Juice. Listen, it, the Pimp Juice is probably one of the two or three songs I can actually tolerate from him. So I won't diss the Pimp Juice, but he's definitely sipping on something in the middle of the night and come up with that mess. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Ed. I don't think you drink, right? Nope. So when you're out on the town with your pimp cup, what are you sipping on in there? I probably have some mixture of lemonade in there, some some um some sparkling Sprite. I don't try to get too crazy. Ed, you actually have a pimp cup? I don't, but I should. <laughs> oh my God, the South! <laughs> this is how they do Listen, in the South. People walk that is cups how... full of seltzer and and ginger ale. That's. A... <laughs> Trust oh, me, now here, there ain't no seltzer and, <laughs> there is no seltzer and ginger ale in them cups down here. I'll tell you that, player. So probably mine. Yeah, let's put some respect on the ginger ale, please. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, I think Ed's probably using like a Costco red cup. Yeah, I don't think he's at a, a Cos- pimp cup status oh, yet. Oh, my God. <laughs> Costco red cup. Oh, my God. At least let me get the blue cup. Something different. I got to stand out with it. Yeah, uh, um, guys, I think that's it for this week's podcast. Uh, shout out to Eric Roberson for joining us. Ed, I'm expecting you to do a whole love letters on Nelly's tweet, but uh, what else is going on with SoInStereo.com aside from that? Oh, gee, speaking of love letters, we do have a new edition of Love Letters up talking. It was actually an interesting con- um, conversation about interracial relationships and double standards. Go check that one out. Also, by the time this goes up, I will have my annual. 20 questions of the BT Awards. Look, players, I ask you to read it because if I had to stay up five hours and watch that mess of a show, you're going to read every word of that or at least open the page and give me the page view. So, yes, go to soulandstereo.com, check out the recap 
of the BET Awards because ugh, give my life some sort of meaning. <laughs> and Tom, what's going on with you know I got soul.com? Not much. I just realized I haven't done an in-person interview since Raheem's last album in September. Now that I have Man. a child at home, Maverick, you know, I got to... I got to be home with the wife to take care of this child. So, Kyle, you're the one holding it down, man. You got any interviews coming up? Yeah, I think I'm going to be interviewing Nicole Buss. She's uh, opening up for Common on his tour. So I'll probably go pick that up. Maybe get Common as well because that's how we do. But, um, yeah, nothing really else going on. But I am happy to announce, you know, I talked about Jay Holiday's new single earlier. We partnered up with Jay Holiday's team. He's going on a mini tour, 10 dates. Uh, Ed, it actually starts on in Birmingham. Uh, I'm going to be giving out free tickets to each one of those shows. So um, listen to the podcast, and we'll do some contests on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're going to give away some tickets and uh, maybe even try to get a meet and greet. Ed, I'm going to get you to meet Jay Holiday. Don't make him mad or he might yell at you, but that might actually be <laughs> pretty funny too. That actually would be pretty hilarious. First he'll park your car, then he'll yell at you. Yes. You know <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so that seems to be it for me. I do have a couple more um, interviews to do. Um, probably in August. I'm actually, like I said, I'm in Toronto right now, and Tweet is actually performing tonight at the uh, at the parade show. I might go. Ca- I might go catch that, but probably not because it's too wild over there. But, oh. guys, I think that's it for this week. All right. Man, we, su- we survived another week. <laughs> we, we did indeed, guys. I'm going to go eat my pizza crust first. Put some, <laughs> uh, put some, pi- put some pineapples on it as well, because pineapples oh, and pizza go God. together. Ugh. I'm going to hop on a plane and go finish eating Tom's chicken that he left all the meat on the bone. So I'll go <laughs> clean that up for him. Let me ask you a quick question, Ed. If you could, if you had any super move of any wrestler, what would it be? Man, super move of any wrestler? No, the signature move. I mean, oh man! Like I just imagined myself giving you a stunner real quick when you took my chicken wing. So, oh I was no, I got yours would be. I've got to give you the sweet tin music because it's like oh. fast and out of nowhere, and you can just Oof. turn around the corner, pop. Then I just oh. eat your chicken. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, I'm going with the diamond cutter, followed by DDP's diamond sign, which is also the Rockefeller sign, so that's that's, that's hip-hop for you. Pretty sure someone got sued in that. Throw that up. I was going to say, throw that up if you want, there'll be some lawsuits thrown. (laughs) Fair enough. All right, guys, that's it for this week of the podcast. Shouts to Eric Roberson once again, and we'll be back next week with another guest and more R&B, so you guys take care. All right.